Our culture is riddled with a battle of beliefs that is truly spiritual warfare. And we need to be planting seeds like it is our last chance before the harvest. And really by that I mean a lot of the things that we've been jaded or maybe turned off or haven't done in a while because we think those are either outdated or not effective, we need to revisit because there is a unique environment around our world right now where people are really hungry for the gospel and we're going to have to spend some time being experimental and rediscovering some of our ancient roots and learning to be the church in a time where things are probably not going back to how they were even a year ago. But nonetheless, there's great and beautiful things happening in Christ's kingdom because Christ is Lord and the victory is ours. So whether Christ returns or we're just on the verge of a massive cultural shift, we need to rediscover the urgency of the early church. And there is a cultural shift going on, and it's going to be ugly with weeping, gnashing of teeth, but the victory is ours. And we have to realize there are two ways, the way of life and the way of death. And those two, they are fundamentally different. We must show a real and viable alternative to the ways of this world. And of course, there's only one. That is the way of life, the Christian life. The way of salvation that is brought to us by our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. So in this episode, we're going to be discussing what it really means to go out and plant seeds and rediscover some things. We're going to be talking about the power of forgiveness. We're going to be talking about the retention of sins and how that relates to the Gospel of John. And we're going to be talking about the importance of seeing the world through the cross. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others here with me. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor with my ice cream here. <laughs> yes, interesting stuff. So on that note, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. I don't even know what to say to that. I'm, I'm already lost. <laughs> right, just, okay. But let us pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have created time and space for us to come and to gather here uh, together and also through the internet. So we pray that you would bless this time. May everything we say and do uh, be for your glory, the upbuilding of your kingdom, and the edification of your saints. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and courage to follow through. We ask this thing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 So, before we get into our serious conversations, we are going to have some time playing our games. We like to have a little bit of relief from the craziness in our world. Isn't that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah we, we all need a little bit of relief. And you're over there with the ice cream. <laughs> yeah, the, I don't yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we need to have some relief from the craziness of our world. You know, the chosen prince of demons, the princeps elector Corona wants to take all joy away from you. But Christ, our Lord, wants us to have joy. So, ironically, the name of our segment, Unholiness Today, we're going to jump into it with a new endeavor of where I'm going to share some stories. And I want us to decide whether or not we think these are real. So, this is going to be quite interesting and a little bit fun. So, send us your thoughts, questions, comments. Are these real? Are these fake? Let's jump right into it. So, the first thing on our list to discuss today is Kanye West. Yeah, you might be unexpected by that, but Kanye, back in. Kanye West, he is actually running for president on a platform of Return to God. Can we believe this? Yes or no? Pastor Amanda. I know he's he's coming, or I knew he was running for president, but as far as his platform's I'm going to say that's a parody. Mike? I, I'm going to say it's real. I, I'm pretty sure I read something on this, and it was it was a real real story. So I, yeah. I'm going to say it's real. It is. It is real. He <laughs> is really running. And, of course, he had his very public conversion a few years ago, or maybe it was last year. Who knows? We're in the age of <laughs> Princeps Elector. Who knows where we're at in time? But Kanye did come to Christ publicly. He had his opera and things of that nature, and he is running for president on a platform of return to God. And can you believe that? Kanye West, it's not that I can't believe Kanye West is running for president, but it's hard to believe that I I am at a place where I feel like he's a, a valid candidate with everything that, well, with, the, it, with everyone that else is running. Well, the I fact that why him, not? <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, it's like, what in the world it is, has it our is, world turned into? Well, the fact that it is returned to God is, is kind of so fascinating. Oh, let's, yeah. Let's get on to our next one. All right. All right, so here we have doTERRA who evidently makes essential oils, donates one million vials of essential oils to fight coronavirus. I could see that being real. No, 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 no. That's 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 a parody. <laughs> well, uh, Pastor Mike was right. It is a Babylon Bee parody, but believable. 
believable Very and good. Believable. You need an ice cream cone, Pastor Man. It helps you think. think better. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So next See we have <laughs> a Christian church decides to meet at Walmart since the government wouldn't allow them to meet in their building. Oh, I believe that. I've heard people threaten that several times, like just the people I know. Um, so, uh, yeah, I could believe people actually did it. Yeah. Mm, Pastor Mike? No, 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 no. I, I believe that's a parody. It w- I mean, why go to Walmart? Because you can. Because <laughs> you can. And it is, in fact, true. No. In here? <laughs> you can hear them singing, singing their hymns, their worship songs there in Wally World. Interesting. It is indeed true. All right. Kanye West has agreed to, as part of his presidential campaign, to give away Chick-fil-A sandwiches for free. Pastor Amanda. I'm going to go with parody. Cause, parody? Yeah, I can't believe that. No, I don't believe that either. It's parody. I, I think he's, I think it's, I've, I've resonated with some of the things he said. He's deeper than that. Yeah. If you, Kanye West is actually very deep in the conversations going on. Right, It's actually true, y'all. This sounds crazy. The... The Chick-fil-A thing is a parody. That's a Babylon Bee article. But Kanye West actually being deep and bringing more theological conversation to the table than just about any other public figure is unbelievable. But also, you better believe it because it's actually true. And give praise to God over it. Miracles still happen. Miracles still happen, indeed. Praise God for it. All right. The next one that we have up is math. The very notion that 2 plus 2 equaling 5 is oppressive. In a serious conversation broke out on the internet that basic math is oppressive and it is an extension of imperialism slash colonialism or colonialization. Yeah, I, I, I believe that conversation happened. Oh, that's ridiculous. I, I'm saying that's a parody. That's ridiculous. Who can... That's, it's real. Oh, you It really happened. It really happened. This is, And you know, it's as dumb as that sounds because it's dumb. Yeah. It's, it's dumb. But this is the stuff ripping us apart. And that's what, it, it's just, what infuriates me is that there are systems and structures and people in our world that want to oppress and hurt people, and yet instead of talking about that, we're talking about 2 plus 2 equals 5. And that like and that's what infuriates me. Well, you've got to go all the way back to sin and our need for God. Yeah. Oh, yeah, with the drugs and fentanyl and the people are being killed by that and the, destroy, the, the destruction of families. Yep. Why are we even talking about two plus? What well, are we talking G- about? G.K. Chesterton predicted this, though, y'all. Mm. He he literally said, "We are breeding a generation of people who will not believe in mathematics." So well, it, we did put imaginary numbers in it, so I can kind of like <laughs> let's we're gonna get we can pick I. on math. Yeah, we can pick on math, but the basics. Come on, yeah, people. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Walmart has finally required shoppers to wear pants. No, I think that's a parody. They don't care, Mike. Yes, you've always had to have pants on in Walmart, I think. I think pants is a loose term. <laughs> like well, like how you define pants is, is loosely it, uh, defined. It, you're supposed to have them. Whether they're up and worn in the correct position, I think they've always, shirt, shoes, and pants have been required. Um, uh, no, this one is parody. Uh, Walmart <laughs> may be telling people to wear a mask, but they're... You can still show up in your PJs. You can still show up in, in yeah, without or pants. Uh, you know, we actually went to Walmart the other day, and somebody had a mask on. And <laughs> well, that's good. They were effectively not wearing pants. <laughs> and That's not good. <laughs> th- this happened. This really happened. Um, so re- regardless of where you're at on the math, I know masks, I know there's a lot of stuff beyond that. We'll, we'll make it tap into that a little bit, not really, but later, but certainly pants are something which people should consider. We only right. hope. <laughs> we only hope. All right. So next up we have in preparation for what's to come, because a lot of stuff happens in 2020, a real, not a gimmick, but a real vampire slaying kit has come on the market this year. What do we think? I believe that. I, yeah, I, I believe that too. I'll say that's real. Well, yeah, it actually is real. Well, I should say I've I've kind of over glorified it a little bit. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> this this is just something I wanted to throw in there. It really did come for sale, though nobody really knows its origins. There's a mysterious vampire slaying kit. It came up for auction, I believe, in England, maybe Derbyshire, England. Oh, those weird places in <laughs> weird names, even though they're English names. And we speak English. But anyways, so what's in this kit is pretty fascinating. So it has an early 1800s New Testament, and the box itself is from at least 
or it's the latest, the early 1800s. It may be older than that, but it's believed to be an early 19th century box. It has a figurine of a wolf wearing a robe, which is fascinating because it's kind of like an anthropomized wolf wearing a robe. It has a early 1800s New Testament. It has a gun, a rosary, a bottle of shark's teeth, a painting of the resurrection, and it has a crucifix and a pair of pliers. So Wait, there you go. Wait, is this a... Is this a, a vampire killing kit or is it a dentistry kit? You well, just had pliers and shark teeth. Well, wait, that wouldn't make sense. Hold on. What about the, maybe <laughs> they're not bullet. shark teeth. Is there maybe a silver they're... bullet for the guy? No, I don't think so. But there could have been at one point in time. Hmm. Well, I mean, they, they did have the the wolf head looking things in there. Yeah, yeah. It sound like it's, maybe it's wolverine or yeah, wolverines, werewolves versus uh, vampires. Well, you well, get them both. They're both bad. Well, the whole idea of silver killing evil does come from judas Mm -hmm. when judas gets the coins of silver so who knows who knows maybe all the mythology who knows okay so that one is all right so the last one we've got is regarding potlucks Mm. Um, potlucks are being live streamed across the nation is this real or not yeah i believe it you believe it you you know i think with the food channel network anything's possible I'm, I'm with Amanda. I, I'll believe it. I don't want to believe it, but I will believe it. <laughs> All right. So this one is both true and it, it did start off as parody. So it's both. In March 23rd of this year, Babylon B put out an article that said nations, churches host live stream potlucks. But this has actually come to fruition. There have been people who have had their food and stuff together, family gatherings, um, and they've just live streamed their church events with people being at home. So we should do that for Thanksgiving. Sorry. No. I don't think no, that no. that didn't sound like that had anything to do with the virus, but I don't want to pick on this too much. <laughs> I said that out loud. I'm sorry. We'll cut that later. <laughs> yeah. Um in saving grace though, it's it is a matter of, of travel. Though I, I Amanda's family's great, so I'm I'm not gonna comment on any of this Um So that's what we got. I mean, how does that work? I mean, do you ship, like, little containers No, you would just eat whatever you have in front of you. It's just the fellowship, I guess. You yeah, it, yeah, it's just the fellowship is, is done via camera. I hope. You don't have to eat any of that, like, weird green stuff. Oh, gosh, i got to stop talking. I'm going to insult people. <laughs> yes, yes. And moving on, send me your pitchforks. Send them to 6186 Eaton's Creek Road. We're going to be back to have a serious conversation about planting seeds. So we do thank you for spending time with us here at Kingdom of the Logos. We'll be back here in a moment. Alrighty, coming back together, we're going to be talking about planting seeds because in our world right now, I know oftentimes it's easy to get jaded and frustrated with things, but our world, it is hungry for an alternative. And there are two ways, two ways of existing. One is of life and the other of death. And there's a great difference between the two ways. The oldest text we have in Christianity that was in wide circulation, even older than our New Testament canon, is the Didache. And the Didache opens up by saying, There are two ways, one of life and one of death, and there is a great difference between the two ways. It's it's a beautiful beginning. It's a beautiful introduction to to the teaching of the church. And the church cannot be the church if she is wrapped up on a diet version of the way of death. If we're just selling or promulgating a diet version of the way of death, then we're not doing something that's actually different. You see, the way of life, the Christian way, Life. It is something fundamentally different from the default setting that we find. All sons of Adam, all daughters of Eve, they are born and they wake up in the way of death. And that's the natural trajectory, the natural rail lines that people are on. But God wants us to have something different. We must show our neighbors a legitimate alternative to the world. And we've even, I know we use words like neighbors and things like that, Christ-like love, but I want us to rediscover the true meaning of this. Go out in your local geography, go across the street. We must show our neighbors, our grassroots, neighbors, our our people that we see that sometimes we ignore, we've got to show people that there is a real alternative to this world. And that means we, we use different language. We have different eyes to see things. We have different goals. We have a different view on human nature. We have a different method of salvation. And that leads us to talk about different topics and have different discussions. And most importantly, and this might seem obvious, but I promise you it's really not. We have to have a different God than what the world bows down to. It would be good if the world bowed down to God, but we know that's that's not the case. It likes the darkness. 
Christ, he died on a cross for forgiveness of all across time to offer that, not something that we just think that one needs to die again and again and again. No, Christ gave us a very, very powerful gift with forgiveness. We're not to have grudges against people of the past. With Christ, there is no more slavery to cult-like thinking, no more meaningless existence, no more slavery to experts and rulers, no more slavery to eternal death and decay. And what we do find is that there is a new opportunity. There's liberty. There's freedom. There's a new opportunity for honor and nobility to move towards something great, for real achievement, for peace and joy like you have never experienced before, to find value. You as an individual, you matter to your creator. You have yeah. worth, how you live your life, what goes on in your life, your quality of life. It all matters to God. And there is real beauty in God's kingdom. And in our church, we find that there is an opportunity for perfection and to be approved of by one's heavenly father, the one who made you in his image. Now, we as the church, we have to realize you can't defeat the darkness if you just do the things the darkness wants you to do, which means you've got to quit seeing the things the world wants you to see on those eyes that the world wants you to have. And this even shapes how we think, you know, the words that you use, the words in your mind, because that's how we think. We often think using words. The words that we use, they shape what we think about. They shape what we see. Therefore, if we have the same words that the Hollywood has and the media, then we're going to be set up to think like them and operate like them. The words we have, they shape how we think and what we think about. And this is something which we've got to realize. If we're modifying our language to sound more like the world, that's a bad thing. You know, we have to be speaking the great and beautiful truths of our Lord and Savior. If Eve, if she's willing to talk and sit down with the serpent and talk about the merits of fruit and how that's good for food, well, that's a gateway for her to not only sin herself and her husband, but also to curse her, all the generations of her children. We have to realize that sometimes we just need to flat out say no, and we have to look and set our eyes on the gospel. I find it fascinating that so many times in our world, our leaders, they want to take risks, but they're not really risks because they're the same direction that the culture is going. If you're stepping in the direction and say, oh, we're going to go a risk, we're going to go out here, we haven't done this before, well, that sounds funny, that sounds fine, but you know, there's something funny to it if that direction you're wanting to go is actually the same way that the whole culture and world wants you to go. It's not a risk if you're moving in the direction Hollywood wants you to. So many times we're told we're going to have a difficult conversation, but it's just a diet version of what the world's talking about. This is shameful. We shouldn't be living like this. This is not the way of life that's fundamentally different. Let's stop having the conversations the world wants us to have and start having the ones that are built off the gospel of Christ Jesus, looking to the world and saying there is a real alternative. And in fact, there's only one real viable alternative, and that is the way of life. Recently, we did a program on cults. And so often we think of cults as groups that go outside the normal bounds of society. They wear all the same clothes, but there's more to a cult than that. Truly what a cult is, is just a belief system where people, they cease to be transformed by the renewing of their mind and instead they're molded, surrendered, and controlled by the prominent values of whoever the leader of the group think is. In a modern day and age, Twitter, social media, news media, and even politicians and celebrities, we always want to have the approval of the group think and be talking about the things the world wants us to talk about. And it kind of reminds me of the old Egyptian cults. They would happen in broad daylight. They wanted the approval of all the big figures. The the cult of Caesar wanted Caesar's approval. But the thing is, is this is not the way of life. Doing this is aberrant to Christianity. Cults, they pop up across time because we are naturally wired to be religious people. And people, they, they want to fulfill this. And there's this strange hole where people, they want to be religious, but yet they hate God. And so we get this disfigured attempt to satisfy our innate wiring to be religious, and it manifests as cult-like thinking. But we have to show our neighbors a real alternative to this. This means using different language, having different eyes, having different goals, having a different set of values, having a different view on human nature, a different methodology of salvation, a different value system. And that will lead us to have different topics and discussions that we focus on. And most importantly, a different God. And just to wrap this up, as strange as it may seem, our secular world really has bought into this mentality of the government is the way of salvation. And it's even crept into the church. And that's really what is so destructive within the church is when it comes and does that, it corrupts the church and the church doesn't offer a true alternative.
One of the fascinating things that's happened in the age of Corona, the princeps elector, chosen prince of demons, the virus, which has had a lot of things attached to the real virus, there is a belief that has cropped up really for the first time in human history that our actions, this belief that says our actions, our human input, whether through policy or personal actions, they have more power to change the effects and influence and, you know, spectrum that the virus manifests on than do the laws of nature and nature's God. You know, we believe that our government is capable of either saving us from the virus or condemning us by the virus based on actions. And more so than just the laws of nature, the laws of virology and how they actually work. And, you know, this is ridiculous. This is not where salvation comes from. This is what it looks like to believe the government has the power to save you when you put this level of idolatry out there. And yeah, it may not have its temples and shrines, but hey, they're coming um, in one form or another. We have to show something different, that our God is different. And this goes down to our motivations. Who are we serving? Why are we serving? And after this monologue, I want us to step into the arena of exploring how we plant seeds. Because now is the time. And I myself, I have learned here in the past few weeks, a lot of the stuff that I had been jaded against, I'd either been taught not to do, even things that I had tried to implement in my community before that people weren't receptive to, the the world has changed. There's a new hunger that's out there and people are willing to, to answer to some seeds that in the past I, I didn't see those fruits from. And we need to go out and plant seeds like it's, we're about to be on the, the throne of, of judgment right now, <laughs> right before Christ is there. We're going to be coming, looking like the ugly Renaissance pictures where everyone's naked before God, as if that moment is right here, whether it, that actually happens, because it could, or just a shift in culture, we need to have that willingness, that energy that says, let's go out and plant seeds. So I have thrown out my monologue and I'm going to throw <laughs> it to some others to talk about planting seeds and some opportunities that have even cropped up today. Yeah. Um, an opportunity that's hit uh, for our church today, actually, just I got an email on the way driving here, um, was a young couple that had just moved into our community that needed a pastor to get married or to marry them. Because, uh, like I said, they're new to the community, and so they didn't know anyone or have an est- established church uh, group to be a part of. And it, it's really interesting. I've never considered really doing something that impromptu. Uh, but you know what? We've been praying uh, very intentionally and very explicitly in our church recently about opportunities to reach our community. And so, it, it, although this is, again, like I said, not something I would have typically considered, um, this is an opportunity in front of us to plant a seed, to make a connection. So, like, why why wouldn't we try it? Yeah, and this is really revel- relevant because a lot of times pastors have said for one reason or another, you know, I don't want to marry people unless we do all this marriage counseling and stuff. But you've got to look at your motivation for doing it. So, in our modern day and age, it's actually quite rare for people to get married. And the way that my generation and Amanda's generation views marriage is quite different than people mm-hmm. did in the past. Um, I don't think there's any... Do you have any doubt about that, Amanda? From the way you hear people talk about it, it's it's. No, yeah, it, it's um, it, it doesn't because marriage really has a for a long time been defined in economical and um, uh, kind of structural senses. Now that there's no longer an economical advantage or even structural advantage to getting married, it does seem like, well, why do we do it? And and that you know the problem is we have lost the moral argument mm. that says this is a holy institution of God. It, it was designed by God even before there was sin. And because in absence of that true spiritual truth-oriented argument, we've got to that place where it's just the, the legal side well, of it. Well, and that's the thing. If we define things by the world, when the world fails, we're going to have no way of sure of combating it. I mean, if all marriage is, is to protect people and give people stability, then when they no longer need that protection and stability, why get married and yeah. because the church hasn't set that precedent of no this is a holy institution of god this is a way that uh you know life happens and people are committed to one another uh not just for material gain but for uh to live a holistic life um for those who choose to 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 get married sure. or choose to uh, find a spouse then that's a different conversation, and I think that's where you were going also earlier about we have different conversations. Yes, the world and the church both have conversations about marriage, but, but they're having be... the way they have those conversations are very Ab- distinct. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And to the point of planting seeds, 
this is an opportunity and, and we need to think immediate opportunities and i'm look i'm not one who likes the whole instant gratification mentality but also we need to have energy that that we don't allow to get disrupted by long-term planning where there's a time gap for you to get bored with it we need to be planting immediate seeds that are looking towards long-term gratification not necessarily instant gratification but we need to have the energy and they, they're kind of two things which kind of seem at odds at one another unless we spend some time critically thinking we've got to have the energy that says look my motivation for for marrying these people on such short notice is I want to bring God back to one of his institutions and this is an opportunity to do that while people are hungry for it um, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I agree. And, you know, yesterday we did a community cleanup and I saw a response from that that I've not seen when we've done walking around in the neighborhood. Even back last Christmas when we were walking around with some stuff, people are kind of like, ah, go away. I don't really want to be bothered. But now in our world where people are frustrated, they don't really want to go to the food store with a mask on, regardless of where you sit on the mask, which is a worthwhile discussion to have because there are some patterns people are picking up on. But regardless of that, people, it's just a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little bit of a nuisance. But people are now hungry for some real fellowship that's out mm -hmm. there. And just seeing a church be alive is interesting to people. And I've seen people in my own community moved by that. And we've got to go back to re-explore some things. Pastor Mike, mm -hmm. I'll let you jump in on this. Yeah, you know, um, of course, we, we, uh, we've done some things at, um, at, the, at the service to, to plant some seeds. One of the things we did uh, here recently is, it sounds crazy, but it, it actually... Um, has uh, been very um, welcoming by the community, and that was we had a uh, um, like a field day type of thing, and it was some interaction. And it wasn't long after that I was sitting down at the table with a, an, an older man. He's 92 years old, and and someone walked up while we, he and I were talking. He said, "Where's your mask?" And and he pointed in his pocket, and and uh, you know it's kind of a they were kind of you know joking about it, but it, he said something that was full of common sense. He said, you know, I'm not against a mask. He said, I'm, I, he said, if somebody has COVID like right here beside me and talking in a conversation, I'm not afraid of them, but I do want to wear my mask. But if I, if, if I don't know if they got it and that's most everybody, there's no need for me to wear it. And he says, well, so I don't even change. It doesn't affect me one way or the other. And, and I thought, you know, that, that makes so much common sense what he's saying. But the hunger that I think people are hearing is we don't have to live in fear. For, for the whole mask thing for a lot of people is, is that you, you need to be afraid. You need to wear it. And, you know, the, back in the first century, you know, be afraid of Rome. They'll crucify you. God gives us a sense of courage that we can live differently that we don't live in fear. And that's the whole Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples and as they become apostles. And, uh, you know, I think today one of the seeds that we need to plant is not that we need to be blind, ignorant, but we need to use common sense. But we also need to live in, in courage, and that and, plants a seed. And to pursue truth. Pursue truth. Pursuing truth. And these these are the things that are truly, alter they're, they're a huge alternate to the world, All, just massively so. Mm -hmm. But... I want to talk about some interesting things to plant seeds. Cool. I want mm -hmm. to talk a little bit about tracts, um, you know, handing out the little pamphlets and stuff. I want to talk about prayer beads um, and even the possibility of setting up a booth somewhere like a Walmart parking lot that just says, like, the clergy are in. Come and talk to us. Um, what do we think about some crazy and experimental stuff like that? Um, yeah, these are a lot of stuff that people have kind of been taught not to do our generation yeah. of clergy at, but just... Just going out there and let's just throw some stuff out there because people are hungry for it. And let's make ourselves available. Yeah, I think, again, we have to look at not just what worked and what didn't work in the past or even in the present, but why it didn't work. And we may find, like you said, there is a shift in our culture where people are hungry for that fellowship, for that interaction, that maybe they are more willing for some of those more traditional door-to-door -door, um, evangelistic methodologies. And... I think if we look back in our history, the reason some of that stuff didn't work or maybe it worked for a time, but that time has changed is because it wasn't connected to the larger working of the church. You know, it was like, yeah. this is evangelism. This is discipleship. I've, you know, I've handed out my tracks. I've done my good deed for the day. Now I can go do what I want. And that's that. I mean, the, that's not going to work, obviously. Um, I think something and also some of those tracks were just horrible 
they were theologically and, and uh, philosophically and, and uh, their methodology was just bad. Um, so we have to be careful how we do these things, of course. Um, but I think if it's connected to the larger working in the life of the church, some of the stuff could work again. The thing about the booths, like, I don't know, unless it's Girl Scout cookies. Um, if I see a table set out before a, a, a like a Kroger or Walmart, I walk really fast. So yeah. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure our culture's quite ready for that. But maybe if you say, like you said, um, the the pastor is in, there, there may be some people who would like to talk to you. But... Ooh, you've got to prepare yourself oh, then yeah. for people oh, that, to talk to you. Yeah, so that, I, I personally am not excited about that idea, but I, I wouldn't discourage it. Um, I'm not. I'm probably not the first person signing up to, to man that booth, but um, um, I, uh, I will support you in prayer. No, <laughs> that was meant to be a little facetious. But anyways, yeah, no, I think some of this, again, if we understand the context and the why, I, I think we can find rediscovering some of the, the traditions and practices of our past uh, may may serve us well. Yeah, I think so too. Um, to the point of people are hungry for fellowship. They're they're also hungry for truth. Mm. Like no one in our and culture justice. right, and no one in our our culture right now is is hungry for. Or no one in the public sphere is really allowing truth to be entered into the public sphere. We've got to bow down to just really dumb arguments. And it's pitiful. It is so sad when this happens to a society. And we've got to to pull people back towards truth. And you know, right now there is. There's an interesting phenomenon. People, justice is something which is talked a lot about in our modern world, and it has so much baggage with the world. But you find a lot of destructive things that come along and will attach themselves to one movement or another. And there is this strange push and pull that there is an innate hunger we have because we're created in the image of God where we want justice, but yet we're also sinful, fallen creatures, and we want to spite God and shake our fist at him. And when we are dislocated from God's teachings, when we're dislocated from God's institutions, things can go awry very quickly. People can be destructive to others. They can be destructive to themselves. They can allow something like covetousness to come in and corrupt things. People build Trojan horses. There's all sorts of things that happen. And the only way to hold all this back together is to show the light of the gospel, which will give people the alternative. Amen. And Amanda, you had said something about it's not just that people in in the past you had this mentality that said if you build it they'll come, mm-hmm. and there there's kind of an interesting relationship we have to that slogan in the modern world. And I'll just let you pick up on yeah. that because you had a, some good thoughts on that. Well, in talking about evangelism, I think a lot of churches' previous evangelical plan was just oh people want to come to church they just don't know your church exists, and so if you build it they will come. If you have the right signs out there, if you go door to door, then then they'll just come. And really, I think for our modern world, it's not so much people don't know we exist. I think they do. Um, But they don't know really how we exist or why we exist. And that's what we have to show them. So maybe we do, like I said earlier, maybe we do revisit some of these old methodologies or we invent new ones. Um, I think we have to have the uh, God-given creative uh, imagination to, to come up with new ideas. But regardless of the kind of methodologies, we have to see why we're doing it and how we're doing it and that we're to show people there is a better way. And it it's and we, we can use some of these tactics and some of these tactics may even be um, like Pastor Mike was saying, he was thinking of doing axe throwing with some of his youth. Um, I mean, you can pay money and go to some place to to to. to throw acts. So it's not about trying to come up with something the world's never done before, but it's how do we use that? And how, what is the purpose, the motivation, and the, and, and the drive for it? And really, you know, that also to Pastor Mike's point about not being afraid, um, you know, there are churches that are gathering. Now, we're not, we're, we're not dumb. We're trying to be safe and we're concerned with people's health, obviously. But we're still gathering in whatever medium that that is taking place. And I, I think as the church the, or the world sometimes doesn't know that the church is unafraid. I think they've yeah. been convinced and I think sometimes we've convinced ourselves that we are living in fear. And again, this is um, not although COVID has definitely exemplified that. And that's kind of the, the latest uh, latest square on apocalypse bingo for us. It's not new. The, the church has consistently and constantly throughout its 2,000 years has had to battle 
this idea of fear. Yeah. Um, but for us today now, we have to answer the question, what does it mean for us to be the church and be a church of courage uh, in the midst of such chaotic and, and unprecedented times? Yeah, and that don't mean you, you, you know, to have courage doesn't mean you avoid hygiene. Right. You know, you got to use some common sense. And, Wash your hands, people. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, courage is truly the testing of virtues, willing to go out and try them. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we've got to ask the, be able to answer is why are we doing things? Mm-hmm. We're not here to just be another social club. And we've got to be so distinct on that. No, we're here to bring you truth, to show you the way of life, which is a beautiful and noble thing. Mm-hmm. It is it is liberating. And even beyond the instantaneous things that are wrought at, at salvation, there is instantaneous nobility and honor granted in moments of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. When people choose not to retain sins but to forgive them, there is beauty and nobility that is brought there in liberty. And we as the church, we have to... to resurrect that spirit that that God has given us and we wanted to bury it. We've got to exhume it and pull out and say, look, God has given us great power. And, you know, sometimes loving your neighbor means casting out evil. Mm-hmm. You know, in 2020, you can see people, there's tons of videos that, in fact, so numerous and I thought about doing like a montage of it, of people that are weeping, gnashing of teeth, convulsing, doing all the things that you would expect a demon to do with all these accusations, screaming stuff out. And there is this push and pull of we're kind of hardwired to be religious, but things aren't going like we want to. So we're going to react like we're seeing blasphemy and we don't have a good moral code. So we just weep and gnash and convulse out in the street. And it's so tragic that this is happening to God's creatures. And the mature Christian response says, why are we doing things? We're not doing this. That We're not going to have a axe throwing project just because we want to give somewhere, <laughs> someone some place to go. No, it is good. That's a good byproduct of the yeah. church. It's, it's downstream from our main mission. But the truth is we want people to, to experience the fullness of life in the truth of God's kingdom and in the truth of the gospel where it is the church that is reaching out to people and saying, we will teach you how to sing. We will make you be great in the sphere of the opera. And I'm making a Phantom of the Opera, the <laughs> horror movie reference, 1962, Hammer Horror, Phantom of the Opera, where the, the monster, he's the only one willing to have a serious conversation with Christine. He drags her down to his lair, and she's wanted to be a great singer, and everybody else, they want to abuse her. Maybe she's pretty. Maybe she, she can be manipulated this way or that way. But nobody really wants to help her actualize and take her to that deep step, we need to take our young people and bring them in and say, you know what, we will teach you so the monsters of the world won't because they will. Hmm. And we have to understand that in the church, people are hungry for truth and we've got to be people who make that principled argument. So let's wrap this up by talking about prayer beads. Okay. I would like to see something be brought where people have a physical reminder on them. Um, which I'm not opposed to something like a rosary, obviously. I, I wear clergy attire pretty frequently, obviously. I'm, I'm not opposed to that. But something that people can have in their hand. What do y'all think about making something, even like an ink pen or something, of some significant, some useful everyday item, but itself, but is also set apart, which has some sort of marker to it? What, what do y'all think about that? Let's just brainstorm live on air. Yeah, I, th- I love the idea. You know, I've bought a rosary and I've bought, because it's not been a practice, I, I've, been practiced in for very long i had i have a little pamphlet that helps explain it and reminds me that the prayers and i've gone through it as in in the kind of traditional sense and it it takes time it's like 20 minutes when you do it by yourself and i've heard people do it as part of a um as a congregation um do it and it takes you know 30 minutes almost 45 minutes to go through it and it is this idea that there is a time where you stop and you're still and you pray but also it is then that kind of means of grace in the midst of the busyness and the chaos of life. You are reminded of those times where you were still before God. And so it's very um, multi-useful um, in all the aspects of life. Um, I don't know. A pen may not be that a... Uh, everyone loses pens. I'm, I'm just... I feel like that's going to get lost pretty quickly. But I like... Wait, pen or pen? Um <laughs> Like the writing instrument. Yeah, I think lots of people lose that. So I don't know. It, it has to be, I think, more special than that. But I, I think you're on to something in the sense that it would be something everyone's going to carry. Yeah. You, you know, I think a, a, a cell phone case with something similar to a prayer labyrinth built on it <laughs> that no people well people lose their phones but they don't lose them as frequently as they will an ink pen but it is something that most everyone carries with them and they're on it a lot but just to take a few moments to have that prayer labyrinth or whatever on there that helps walk you through the prayer and and uh, 
uh, th- I think that would be very, very something that very much something worthwhile creating. And so Maybe. Dylan is a is a three D printer. Um, I, um, I am a three D printer. <laughs> no, he's not a three D printer. He is a printer. A, a a I don't know what you call that. A creator. Yeah, I, I design things. Yeah, he's a designer. I have three D designer. Ink there we pen go. myself, which is like a little sword that I have not lost. Though I go crazy if I don't have this on. And it's it's an organization thing. I like to be organized um, because I've lost glasses and stuff in the past. So I've got a meticulous thing about it and the ink pen is like the lowest common denominator if that gets lost then i know it's all going to be gone no more phones no more glasses no more keys no more wallets which wallets are something that could be done with this too but the prayer beads themselves they do have that which you can feel and you can even feel it in your pocket like you can Mm -hmm. reach down in there do something with it so i don't know it's it's something to think about it's a tool to help us commune with god and anytime we have a tool to help us commune with god it is worthwhile yeah Uh, because we're called that's what we are we're called to commune and and as we plant seeds, and look, a lot of the stuff I was jaded about, you know, we've done community knock on door to door stuff throughout time. Yesterday we did a community cleanup where we, we went up and down the road down to the stop sign and we, we picked up trash. There were a lot of people who came out and I kind of just let those in my congregation talk with people. There were a lot of people really hungry to find out who we are. There are people mm-hmm. looking for truth. They're looking for something solid to hold on to. And that was not even the case here in Jolton. Like, I don't know, however long ago Christmas last year was, whether you think that was just a few months or maybe you think that was 12 eons ago, who knows, in the age of Prince of Selective Corona. You know, but I think in in the midst of what you said, you know, back from November or whatever, there has been a tremendous change in the way people are told to be afraid. And so to see someone out uh, cleaning up the community um, and touching, you know, who knows what on the side of the road and getting it up, it does it intrigues people but it also is a statement that says here's someone not living in fear and what is going on what is different here sure what do you have well you have the the uh the holy spirit giving you the courage so we'll wrap that up we'll be back with the bible study here in a second but yeah it's time for us to clear the slate on the things that you're you're what your thought minds are on planning to let's just go out and do stuff because let's let's be the church Alrighty, we are coming back. Thank you for joining us here at Kingdom of the Lagos. Send us your thoughts, questions, comments. If you would like to help us out monetarily, to and most of that pays for advertising on on Facebook occasionally and also the equipment and stuff. Um, please, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos, but you don't have to make sure you're supporting your local church. That matters a lot more than, than, um, the other, and just grab a link to our content. If you really want to help us out, that'll help us out. So tremendously hit the share button below our videos and whatnot. And again, we are clergy in the church of the Nazarene, and we do thank you for your time. And we're going to wrap up today by doing a two part Bible study. And the first part is going to be talking about forgiveness and the retention of sins from the Gospel according to St. John chapter 20. And then we're going to look at Luke chapter 9, where we see questions about who Jesus is. And eventually Jesus is clarified as the Messiah by Peter. And then Jesus says, further clarifying all this, I don't think the Gospels are aligned coincidentally, eventually says, pick up your cross. I know you find that language of, of the cross throughout a lot of places in the New Testament. But I want us to look at Luke 9, just kind of the sequence leading up there. But for now, let's talk about John 20. In John 20, verses 20 through 23, it reads as follows. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive any sins, they are forgiven. But if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, myself, whenever I've preached this, I've generally had this as a commandment that happens after Jesus is resurrected and he comes with the disciples. And that's certainly true. But I think built into it is also an observation. That this is a bit of a logical syllogism that says, if you forgive sins, well, then you have the con- you have a different world because they're forgiven. But if you retain them, well, then they're retained. In other words, God was willing to die once. And we have to look at, at the world in terms of time a little bit more than we do. I know in the modern age, you know, forget the news story of a week ago. Forget what they said about this six months ago. Um, without any repentance, just, you know, whatever. But time is a thing. And when you look at stuff across time, God had one forgiveness for all time. Now, again, that means people have to be willing to accept that. But 
the beautiful thing is, is that that one forgiveness, it has power across time. Mm-hmm. And what this means that if we forgive sins, like somebody in our, our own life did something or something happened generations before us, when we forgive that, that allows for healing, that allows for immediate and instantly wrought liberty. And now that doesn't mean that you'll get a golden pie come down and it <laughs> ascends and you, you, instead of having a devil on one shoulder and a, you know, angel on the other, you've got two little angels that just feed you golden cake or something. I don't know. It sounds crazy. <laughs> but the whole principle is there is immediate liberty. You might still have a valley of shadow of death. You mm-hmm. might be crucified. You might be boiled in acid or something. Who knows? But there is liberty in the soul. There is liberty somewhere where the world cannot come, that the world has no power. But on the flip side of that, if you retain sins, and this is just a pure observational, mm-hmm. logical syllogism, if you retain them, then they're retained. All those grudges from the past, the covetousness when you don't feel like you've been done right in this world, and I know justice gets all these words attached to it, but you feel like you haven't been dealt with in a just way, you know, you're not getting paid enough or whatnot. Um, the covetousness that comes when we hold on to sins, when we retain them, it is so destructive. And especially, say, if someone has died, and you're angry at them, you'll have this unsatisfiable anger. If you're mm-hmm. mad at people in the past, um, you'll have that unsatisfiable anger. It can never be solved. So I'll just throw this up. Um, there's my spiel on it, our Bible study. Um, whoever would like to jump in and weigh on this this thought, please well, you, do. You know, I think uh, you, you talked about, you know, forgiveness and the, the grudges and unsatisfying anger for those who often find themselves in a place that can't forgive you know, for, forgiveness is very much who we are created. I mean, we're created in the image of God, so we're created to have forgiveness in our hearts. We need to be able to forgive. Now, as I we were talking earlier about this, and, you know, forgiveness is not just saying I forget. It is saying I I believe in justice, and I'm going to give this to God. I forgive it in the sense that I give it to God for him to be judged, to for, to completely wipe this away or to hold on to it, you know. And so I, I, I'm not trying to ease out of this at all. But for those two ways of life that you talked about in the Didache are the two ways to, to travel through life, the way of life or the way of death. To forgive is to move into that way of life. To not forgive, you 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 hold on to such uh, damaging uh, emotions that really damage your soul. One of the things that I think you know we see all this these tearing down of statues and things of this nature going on is you know there's no one that ever said these people were were without any type of fault or anything. And we must learn to be a people of forgiveness and let God be the one who does the ultimate judgment. And um, that is part of being being able to forgive. And so there are people who have had tremendous, um, you know, evils committed against them in this world. And I have seen those people forgive in the sense that they give it to God to be the judge. And when that happens, they are able to heal. And uh, that, that's a beautiful thing to see, see healing take place. Sure. Pastor Amanda, you had talked about some people yelling at the, the grave. Oh, would yeah. You, would you walk us back through that um, and really kind of give a little bit more insight to that? In the- yeah. Well, I remember my, my dad preaching a sermon. I think it was on Mother's Day or Father's Day. It's one of those kind of significant holidays where, where people are focused on family. And uh, he was talking about how some people don't have good relationships with their, with their father or their mother and how that brokenness, that uh, abuse, uh, dysfunction, whatever it was that happened, now there's no way to resolve it because they've passed. And so uh, I think, I don't think that's something he came up with, but maybe he got from a counselor or a therapist, um, was that some people, in order to have that experience of having that conversation, of having that that uh, discussion of forgiveness and also confrontation and confession, sometimes you have to go to a gravestone and have that conversation. And obviously it's very one-sided, but even those who have passed, there has to be a place of forgiveness. Now, at the same time, when we talk about that, for those relationships that are broken, again, whether individually or, or kind of socially or generationally, um, forgiveness, like Pastor Mike said, is not forgetting. It's not, um, 
it, it, it's yeah it's not enabling it's not going back into abusive situations or allowing abusive systems to continue but what it is saying is we have called wrong wrong and good good and we have given it to god um mm. we are using god's judgment god's justice not our own and yeah, this is there's a, still an accountability oh yeah of course and so that's why like we as we forgive um forgiveness is never letting someone off the hook and forgiveness is not um, alleviating the responsibility and consequences of someone's actions, nor is it alleviating our responsibility to live in a life of righteousness. Uh, but what it is saying is those how we define righteousness, how we define justice, how we define forgiveness is defined by the life uh, of God, the life yeah. of Christ. And, and, and that's going to be very different than how often the world deals with it because i think the world and sometimes the church even is really great at pointing out people's problems and saying like you're wrong but it's really bad about then creating a system of righteousness and justice yeah. and so we as the church and i think we have to create space as well for people to confess for people to so for those who need to be forgiven for them to confess their sins um, and we need then also to create space for people to forgive in whatever con context, again, whether that's individually, corporately, generationally, culturally. Um, God is about redeeming the whole world. Um, and so, therefore, the whole world uh, has to respond accordingly. And, and, you know, one of the beautiful things that we get built into the gospel is Jesus comes to people at a lot of places, a lot of people doing some really bad stuff. Some people doing mm. some pretty nasty stuff. Jesus comes to him and says, you know, go and sin no more. The great liberty in that, where God himself has a standard of forgiveness that says, if you will if you will come to me, I will not hold you to this. I'm, I'm not going to come and beat you with this, with a club, every five minutes. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to make you come and, 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 you know, weep and gnash of teeth over this every five minutes for the rest of your existence. God says, all right, if you will come to me, go and sin no more, go and live. I, I don't want this endless rehashing of sins. I don't love the sin. Mm -hmm. You know, we in the church, we have to understand God does not love the brokenness. You know, prepositions are quite important. God loves us out of the brokenness. God doesn't want to sit around and talk about the champion cracks that are throughout his creation. Instead, God wants to look at his beautiful creatures, their noble design, and to bring them up and say, I, as one who is, you know, the very name of God to be being, this idea of God coming and saying, I am holy and excellent, and you created as my, my chief creatures in my image, you to be brought back to that state. Let's go and live. And there's such liberty fall, found in that. There's And, and it, the world wants to fight this. There's such a, a rabid hatred that the world has for this, but there's such liberty within the faith. Well, let's change gears a little bit. Um, we're going to have a quick break, and then we're going to come back to look at Luke 9. So thank you for spending time with us. We'll be back shortly. And I'm bad at hitting buttons. So everybody <laughs> forgive me. Um, yep. Anyway, so we're back for our final moments here, and we'll, we'll wrap up this program because we're right at time. Let's talk about the Gospel according to St. Luke and go to chapter 9. Now, chapter 9 has a lot of sequence of events, a lot of little episodes built into Luke 9, where people are trying to figure out who Jesus is. You know, King Herod, he's like, oh, maybe he's John come back. And other people are like, no, he's an old prophet. And, you know, a lot of people have their different angles on this. And eventually it trickles down to where Jesus is talking with the disciples. And Peter eventually, in this conversation with Jesus, says, you're the Messiah. You know, P Peter finally makes this confession as, as Jesus is kind of discussing the matter with them. And not too long after that, we do find Jesus say, if, if anyone, this is Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And now the reason why I want us to look at this Luke 9 text is how it is framed across the gospel of people trying to figure out how to see Jesus. Do we see him as an old prophet? And even with the transfiguration, which happens later in this chapter, you know, people, they say, oh, it's great. We've got these old prophets. But the heavenly voice says, no, this is the, my son. Listen to him. Follow him. Mm -hmm. You know, just stay in the past. Jesus isn't against the past. He's fulfilling it. But there's this mentality that says, don't try to look at Jesus as the resurrected John, as the old prophets. He's something 
that is a fulfillment of where God has been taking his people all along. And it's fascinating that when Jesus actually addresses things on what it means to follow him, he says, you look at the cross, look at the cross. And now this is obviously before the crucifixion, but, but the reason why I wanted us to talk about this is the lead up to this statement. We have the beauty of being able to see this after Jesus is resurrected, but Jesus in the midst of people trying to figure out how to see him, Jesus's response and his teaching on following him in the midst of that whole conversation is, is to look at the cross. And there's something beautiful about that. Um, you know, I'll just let y'all respond to that. <laughs> we'll go from there. Well, you know, I think especially when Jesus says, you know, to t- take up your cross daily and to follow me is that it is a, a the cross is a place of forgiveness where we find uh, Jesus taking on the sins of, of all humanity of the world. And so he's he, he's he's taking on this tremendous uh, burden and it is the ultimate sacrifice where we can for, find forgiveness. And then he says, you know, follow me. And on, as we look at Jesus on the cross, he does say, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yep. Again, we have this God who not only just loves us, but he took on flesh and blood to experience the pains, the hurts, the evils of this world. And when when we uh, share our life with him, then he will share his life with us. And that's that's basically we share in the resurrection. We share in this death. Sure. And this forgiveness and sure. this resurrection, and so there, there is a a tremendous um, grace in taking up our cross daily, which is forgiving and handing over um, those who sin against us, and and forgiving them by sure. by you know saying we you know we're going to let God be the judge here. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, I think um, also I believe after the resurrection, Jesus was, you know, commanding his disciples what to do. And he tells them, you're going to do greater things than even I I have done. And I think as we hear the story where where Jesus tells his disciples to pick up a cross and follow him, where we hear Jesus forgiving and Jesus literally going to a cross, which is a very horrific and torturous way to die. um, We also hear the call of Jesus uh, that, you know, he also says that the servant isn't, you know, more important than the master. And so if Jesus did all that, you know, how are we to expect any less? And there is a trend in our, our, our culture and in Christianity today to kind of over sanitize the cross. And uh, we do it kind of literally when we, you know, make it into really pretty jewelry. And we do it figuratively when we say things like, you know, if you follow Christ, it's going to be a good life, a blessed life, and we define blessing by the world's terms and by material things, instead of realizing that they literally killed Jesus. Jesus followed uh, the call of his father. Uh, Jesus stuck with the message and the kingdom of heaven, and it cost him his life. Not kind of his life, not a little bit, uh, not metaphorically, literally cost him his life. And so when we hear this call to to pick up our cross. It's not to pick up an inconvenience that we can then just put down when it's too much for us to bear. It is to to go to uh, to death, to to go into journey with Christ, even uh, regardless of what it call uh, calls of us. Yeah, cost us. And as we just wrap this up, you know, you see people who are recovering addicts, and a lot of times they tend to adorn themselves with crosses. And it's one of those things where you look at the cross, it reminds you who you are. Mm-hmm. And in our modern day and age, there are many who who aren't, they don't want there to be forgiveness. They like to be angry. They like to lash out. But in the Christian church, we should not have a higher standard of forgiveness than God. And what we find beautiful about the cross is God provided forgiveness for us in a way that none of us could ever afford. Mm. That's right. So we'll wrap up there. Um, we're right at time. Um, any final thoughts? Any final things to think about as we close? <laughs> well, you you know, I think uh, obviously that when we look at these two ways of life, and of course the cross, we, Jesus redefines death as we have known it, and we should live in that courage. It is because of the the resurrection that we have 
Um, that is where we find our joy. That is where we find our life. It is in Christ and the work of Christ. So uh, at the end of the day, as, as you know, we, we can't water down the gospel because we are totally meant to, you know, live a sacrificial life. But at the same time, we also have something to look forward to in the kingdom when it comes fully. Sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. And yeah, the cross calls us to hard places, but I think it also calls us to creative and wonderful and new places. And as we discussed before about planting seeds and how to plant seeds, um, I think God has given us a lot of different ways. He's given us his imagination and his creativity and also his wisdom that as we go through this world carrying our cross that uh, let, I don't know, enjoy the adventure of where that may take us. Yes. <laughs> Amen. And pray for the people in Beirut, mm. that big explosion. That's kind of my thought on all this. And yeah, pray that a lot of the nasty stuff in our world, let light be shined on it. And yeah, let's press forth. So we're going to wrap up there. I thank you for spending time with us here at Kingdom of the Logos. And on that, God love you and have a blessed day. Mm.